So as Joe said earlier, this is the final week of our three-week message series on the subject of faithfulness. Faithfulness, the thing we do is called faith. And if you use a term often enough, it just starts to fade into the background. And that's exactly why we're presenting this message series. The word faith and the concept of faith should really not fade into the background <laughs> for those of us who are Christians. We sing about faith on Sunday mornings. We pray about our faith. But the question is, do you really have faith? Let me rephrase that and recapture that. When we read scripture, do we have the faith that God asks us to have? Do we have the faith of some of the men and the women that we read about in scripture and of one particular woman that we are going to read about today? Do we have that kind of biblical faith? Let me rephrase that question in one more really profound way. Have you yet in your life found the peace and the power that comes with true faith? Because true faith really comes with peace and power. Do you have that kind of faith? We'll see. We'll see. Today we're going to be in a book of the Old Testament called Second Kings. If you have your Bibles or an electronic device and you have your app, please feel free to follow along. The Old Testament book of Second Kings, we're in chapter 4. We're reading a really, really neat story. Centering around a prophet named Elisha, incredible prophet, but really focusing on a widowed woman. And she's going to teach us a lesson about faith partnered with Elisha. Here we are, 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm going to read the first seven verses. The, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is, is dead. This is a widowed woman. Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take away my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, hey, go, go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring and kept pouring and kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, Elisha, and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live off of what's left. Now, this is a story about a widow who owed a debt. Now, we could go on and on about the story. We could talk about the story for hours. We could talk about how in that culture, in that culture, if you were a widowed woman, it was very, very difficult on you. Not just emotionally, not just socially, but economically, it was very challenging. We could talk about this debt collector 
We don't often talk about this debt collector when we share this story. This guy collecting the debt was not operating in God's desire. God laid out a plan in his law for grace when it came to debts of this situation. God did not want his people going in or any people going into slavery. That was not God's desire. And you can read about that in Deuteronomy 15, grace when it comes to the law. This debtor was not operating under Deuteronomy 15's command to have grace for a situation like this. We could talk for hours about that, but at the heart of this story is a person who had to give, who wasn't able to give. Have you ever been in that situation? Not just financially, but anytime. Have you ever had to give something? Maybe you even wanted to give something, but whatever bank account you're drawing from was just empty, whether that's financial or spiritual or emotional. Have you ever had to give something and you just felt like you couldn't do it? As I was trying to think of examples from my own life uh, this week, the the first one that always comes to my mind, and my parents will will probably remember this better than I do, I was a runner in high school. We had a meet one time at at Slippery Rock. It was a miserable day. It was pouring down rain. The the, the course was, was muddy. Everything was wet. Ironically, it was at Slippery Rock because the course was super slippery. It was It was just weird. I actually got more laughs out of that than I thought I would. I true that's not in the script. Jason will tell you that's not in the script. I just threw that out there. Do you guys enjoy dad jokes? Is that something that really trips your trigger? I saw this baseball one time and it kept getting bigger and bigger. Didn't know what was going on. And then it hit me. I came up with that between services. I'm so proud. At 9 o'clock, hey, listen, at 9 o'clock, I had nothing. I had nothing to give in terms of dad jokes. I couldn't come up with one on the spot, but I spent the whole hour in between services coming up with that one joke. I'm very proud, and thank you for laughing at it. It really makes me happy whether you find it funny or not. I was running a slippery rock, a miserable day, uh, ran 3.2 miles at the finish line, I collapsed. My body stopped working. Like physically, I had nothing left to give. I I did one of those things where like I crawled across the finish line and somebody scooped me up and helped me get medical attention, but I had nothing left to give physically, and it was a terrifying experience. It really was having nothing to give physically. Uh, Maybe you've been an emotional place where you've been giving and giving and giving to something or, or, or someone emotionally, and you are draining that bank account, and there's nothing coming in on the other end of that bank account. You're, you're, making, depo- you're making withdrawals from your emotional bank account, or somebody is making withdrawals from your emotional bank account, and you're not putting in any deposits and it's draining, and it's draining, and it's draining, and you feel like you have nothing left to give this situation or that person. Have you ever been in that situation? (laughs) Amen, amen. I hear some of those. Or, Or maybe for you, it's your actual bank account. You're like this woman, and your real bank account is drained, and you have a debt to owe, and you just have nothing in which to pay that debt with. 
I think most of us in this room today, most of us online, I'm, I'm sure, can relate to this woman in some way who had to give something and just had nothing to give. Well, this woman did a really wise thing. What did she do? She asked for help. She asked for help. I sometimes look at myself in my life when I'm in this situation and I wonder how often I ask for help when I have nothing left to give. This woman was very wise. And she asked for help. She turned to a very good place of help, the prophet Elisha. This woman's uh, deceased husband was a prophet and Elisha was essentially this man's boss. He was the head prophet. And so this woman reached out to Elisha who, by the way, is an incredible man of God. If you don't recognize this name from the Old Testament of the Bible and you're looking for something to study this week, look up Elisha and study all of the things that God did through this man. It's absolutely extraordinary. We're going to see something right now that was extraordinary. The widow asked Elisha for help. Here's his reply. How can I help you? How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? Do you remember the woman's response? Your servant has nothing. Your servant has nothing there at all, Elisha. Elisha, are you kidding me? I, I have nothing. Elisha, you know me and you know my situation. Perhaps you knew my, my husband's situation. My husband's dead, Elisha. You know what kind of strain that puts me in socially and emotionally and economically. Elisha, you know I don't have anything to give. There's no way I can pay off my debt. And by the way, it's not my husband's death that caused the debt. We had that debt before. Maybe it was even the husband, by the way, that incurred that debt. Now he's no longer around. Elisha, you know I have nothing. And now this creditor who's operating outside of God's grace, maybe you can talk to him about that, is threatening to take away my sons and sell them into slavery. Elisha, I have nothing. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you and I can relate to this woman who was having at least a difficult season and perhaps she was having a very difficult life. Can you relate to that? Worrying about what's coming tomorrow. Worrying about what trouble is around the next bend. I wonder if you can relate to that. Bad news after bad news, seemingly bad experience after bad experience, and all the spiraling that happens with that, all the sleepless nights that happen around that. I wonder if anybody can relate to that. When it comes to this woman, I, I wonder how many times that woman looked in a mirror if she owned a mirror. I wonder how many times this woman looked in a mirror and told herself in the mirror, you have nothing, you have nothing. I want to give. I want to be able to pay off my debts. I want to be a good member of society. I absolutely want to be a good mom. I just want to be able to function, but I have nothing left. Well... Not nothing, though, right? Not nothing, not nothing. What did that woman really say? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said to Elisha, except a small jar of olive oil. 
Well, of course that woman would not have thought to provide that piece of information to Elisha because what is a small jar of olive oil? But that's not nothing. That's something. And Elisha could work with something. So Elisha told that woman something a little bit off the wall. Elisha said, hey, we can work with that. Go get all the jars from your neighbors that you possibly can. You have everything you need. You have everything you need. Imagine being that woman in that situation and being told it's going to be okay. You have everything you need. What did Elisha provide for that woman? Hope. Hope. Consider who she was and consider her situation. Everything started to turn around for her when somebody came in and just gave her a little ray of hope. What Elisha was really doing was reminding this woman who should have known that God is the provider. This woman's life started to turn around when she received a simple reminder that God is the provider. And she really didn't have nothing. And, and so if there's anybody in here today, and I'm assuming there's probably a few of us that feel like we have nothing, what we need is a little Elisha in our lives. I, I want to be that Elisha for you, for all of us who think we have nothing. We have nothing left to give right here, right now. I want to offer you a little bit of hope. And so if all you feel like is that you have nothing, I want to share with you some pretty spectacular things that God does with nothing. Are you here today and do you believe that God does spectacular things with nothing? Can we go through all of those instances where God has provided miracles out of absolutely nothing? One of the first instances I think about is about 1500 BC when God allowed his people, the Israelites, to escape slavery out of Egypt. God delivered what scholars think today was millions of people, millions of people miraculously out of slavery. And those Israelites started crossing the desert into the promised land, which God was also giving them. Were those Israelites grateful for that circumstance? They were not. They were complaining kind of the whole trip there. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Any parents out there? That's what three million Israelites were doing to God for 40 years. You think Father in Heaven got sick of that a little bit? I don't know if he did get sick of it because the first instance of the Israelites complaining was that they were hungry. They were hungry. And I, and I, hey, listen, I sympathize with that. I, I, I want some food too. And if we're traveling across the desert, I can't imagine there's much game out there to hunt or to provide food. So the Israelites were complaining. They went so far is to go to Moses and say, hey, listen, Moses, we were better off in slavery. Let's go back to Egypt, back to slavery, Moses, because at the very least we had food to eat there. Can you imagine saying that? I probably would have said the same thing because I'm a sinner and I'm broken and I'm fallen. That's what the Israelites said. Let's go back to slavery because we don't have enough food to eat. We have nothing, Moses. We had nothing. You know how God responded to their complaining about food? Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Can you imagine that? 
I will rain down bread for you. If I was God, I do not think I would respond to the complaining with raining down bread from heaven. Praise God, I am not God. Because he responded with mercy and grace. God can do spectacular things with nothing, can't he? A few years later, the Israelites were still wandering the desert, still complaining, this time about not having enough water to drink. What do you think God did in that circumstance? Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out water. Are you kidding me? From out of stone, God gushed water enough for millions of people to drink. God does spectacular things with nothing. I'm having fun. Let's keep going. About 500 years before this episode of the Israelites wandering the desert, about 500 years before that, there was a, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, named Abraham and Sarah. They were not able to conceive children. Sarah's womb was, was empty. And for Abraham and Sarah and all of the people who struggle with that today, I can't imagine what the feeling must be, but it must be something along the lines of we have nothing. There's, there's nothing. We want something, but there's nothing there. And then God spoke into their lives. God came to Abraham and Sarah and said, Abraham and Sarah, you are going to conceive a child. Abraham's response to that was to fall on the ground laughing. And his brokenness and his pain of years and years of not being able to do this one thing they wanted to bring a child into this world, he fell on the floor laughing, which was not a good thing for Abraham because dude was 100 years old at this point. Way too old to be falling on the ground laughing. Certainly way too old to be having children, which is why he was on the floor laughing in the first place. His wife Sarah was 90 years old. They were 50 years from even considering being able to have children. And God said, you will have a child. And they laughed in God's face. Did Abraham and Sarah have that child? Yes, they did. We would not be here if they didn't. Do you understand that? You and I wouldn't be here if Abraham and Sarah didn't have that child, if God didn't bring life out of an empty womb. <laughs> this is not the last time that God would bring life into an empty womb. There are six more occurrences of this happening throughout Scripture, the most notable of which is an unwed teenage mother in the first century who bore a son named Jesus who would hang on a cross, go into the grave, and come out three days later. Do you understand that God does spectacular things with what you and I see as nothing? From bread raining down from the sky, water gushing out of stone, from life from empty wombs and a savior from an empty tomb, God does spectacular things with nothing. Are you sure you have nothing? What I want to do with the rest of our time together is to look at your life through the same lens that God looks through. Because when you and I see nothing, God sees something. And oftentimes, God sees something spectacular. There's a key part of this whole story that we've really glossed over up until this point. That woman thought she had nothing. Your servant has nothing at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Here's exactly how Elisha 
responded to that. Exactly how Elisha responded to that. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Don't ask for just a few. Jason, would you stay on that slide for just a minute because I want to... I want to burn that into our soul. Don't ask for just a few. I would never get a tattoo. I'm just not that kind of person. Not because I'm theologically against it. I'm against pain. And I can't deal with the pain that I hear comes along with tattoos. If you have a tattoo, many, many of us have wonderful tattoos. I, I, love, I love you having a tattoo. I don't love me having a tattoo. But... I think it's so cool to get scripture tattooed on our body. I really do. And some of you have tattoos of scripture on your body. And, and I always think, like, if I was going to get a tattoo, what scripture verse would it be? Would it be John 3.16? Would it be Romans 12.2? Would it be Philippians 4.13? What you see in front of you right now is low-key one of the most important scripture verses that you and I could tattoo either on our body or on our hearts. Don't. Ask for just a few. Why is this something that we would tattoo on our hearts? This is the measure of faith. This is the measure of faith. What's the question that we asked at the beginning of this message and for the past two weeks if you've been with us? Do you really have faith? We sing about it, we pray about it, but do you really? If you would have asked this woman, do you have faith? She would have said, of course I have faith. I'm an Israelite. I'm a child of God. I have faith. My husband was a prophet. Why in the world would you ask me if I have faith? Of course I have faith. Now we'll see if this woman has faith because Elisha said, hey, let's put that faith into practice. Go and gather all of the empty jars you can. Now stop. What you may have heard me say was gather some empty jars. What I said is gather every single jar you can. Don't gather just a few. And she did that. She gathered those jars. Her and her son started pouring out all of that oil and it worked. She took that little jar of Del Grosso olive oil, and she started pouring into those empty jars, and it didn't stop. Friends, it didn't stop. Do you believe this is a historical fact? I do. It didn't stop. It kept coming and coming and coming. When all of the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. Check this out. He replied, there's no jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Are you connecting the dots to see where we're going with this? The jars that she was asked to collect were a measure of her faith. And she had faith. She did. She collected those jars. Even if it was weird to her and her neighbors, she did it. And I also want to say that her blessing was limited by the amount of jars she collected. Are you beginning to connect the dots with this? Could God have dropped a bag of cash on that woman's front doorstep? Could he have? Yes, he could have. Yes, he could have. Could he have struck that debt collector down with a bolt of lightning? Yes, he could have. Yes, he could have. Could God have just snapped his fingers and made all the situation go away automatically? Absolutely, he could have. He didn't do that. 
what God did was ask the woman to participate. What God did was ask the woman to participate in the miracle in just a small way. She didn't make the miracle happen, but God asked her to participate nonetheless. That's what faith is. Faith is a relationship with God. Faith is action. By definition, faith is something that we must participate in. We may sing about our faith. We may sing, great is thy faithfulness on Sunday mornings. We may pray that we have faith. But the question you and I have to ask ourselves in the mirror is, do we actually have faith? Have we known the peace and the power that comes with true, unabashed faith in God? And it's okay if you're not there yet. This amazing woman wasn't quite there yet, wasn't quite there yet in her life, but she did have faith. She did rely on help and she did collect some jars. She just needed an Elisha in her life to remind her that all of that was possible. And we all need an Elisha in our lives to remind us what we already know, that God is the provider. He is real and he is really there, y'all. Let's, let's listen to this testimony. In 2016, I had a stroke. It totally threw me for a loop. It threw our family into, into craziness. We had no idea what was going on. But through that, I was having a little trouble with my job. It almost felt like I was being pushed out. And I would cry every night. I would, I would come out, I would cry on my back porch. Why did you keep me alive? Do you even still love me? Are you there? And it's so funny when you ask those questions because all the time he was showing me I'm still here, showing me through ways he provided money financially. He provided um, people to help with Hannah, and he brought me out of that job into a new job. He promoted my husband, and he really did an amazing work. So his faithfulness just was immeasurable. I couldn't believe how he, he brought me through that. It made me realize that my relationship with him is not just the Happy Mountaintop experiences, it's the valleys and he was the only one big enough that I could yell those things to. He was the only one big enough to be able to handle them. So what he did for me was not just say, okay, you're done, I can't use you anymore. What he did was bring me closer to him and say, this is where I want you. So let's get you on this path. Often wonder if it wasn't for my daughter, for Hannah. She is a wonderful Christian girl. And I think he's got a plan for her, and he needed somebody to help speak truth into her. I'm glad that he gave her to me and lets me be her mom, and that maybe this was a way for me to testify to her, but also for her to see God's faithfulness through everything that she could use in her life also. I think because of God's faithfulness through that time, he did bring me into the deeper relationship. He did bring me further so that was, I was 39, and I laughed with Hannah, and I said it took me 39 years to get a lot of this. But it, it taught me so much that I am hoping that I'm a better Christian for it. I'm a better human for it. I'm living out Christ's love. It just gave me a story that I could share, 
and that I could speak into others and say, God is here. He loves us and he will not let us go even through the hard times. Oh man, it, it took, I love, I love Jana's just honesty there. It, it took her, it took her 39 years before she got it. Isn't that all of our story? <laughs> she just needed a reminder in her life of what she had known for a very long time, that God could take her nothing and turn it into something extraordinary. Jana got a gift and that gift was just more time on this earth to glorify God. She's a member of our Mount Pleasant Scottsdale campus and, and I know that she right now is in a process of discernment on how she can use this gift of more time to do nothing except glorify God. That's a process she's going through. I'd like to invite you and I to go through that process right now. There's a piece of paper and a pencil on your seat when you came in. I want to ask you the same question that Elisha asked that woman. What do you have? Specifically, what do you have that God can use to be glorified? What do you have to offer God? So many people respond to that question by honestly just saying, hey, nothing. I, I don't have anything right now. I don't have anything that I can give to, to God. I, I, I don't have time to read scripture. I, I, I don't have time to offer prayer to God right now. I don't have margin in my schedule to serve. I, I don't have margin in my bank account to give. And so there, there's just nothing right now that I can give to God. Friends, I, I hope the Holy Spirit spoke to you this morning. I, I really hope that God spoke directly to you to even just whisper, don't limit me. Don't limit yourself. You have everything you need to practice your faith. And, and so as Joe plays this next song, don't stand up yet, don't sing, but pray and think about perhaps what you have to offer God that you may be holding back. What small thing do you have to offer God that right now you may be holding back? Take a few minutes, meditate on that, think about it, pray about it. And in just a few minutes, Joe's actually going to invite you to, if you, if you will, bring that piece of paper up, that thing that you wrote down, just place it in this basket. That's all. This can be completely anonymous. I, I promise you that I will read over every one of these this week, and I'm going to pray over every one of these. If you don't want it to remain anonymous, if you want to talk about your thing, please feel free to write your name on that piece of paper and I will get in contact with you this week. What this is, is an exercise. It's exactly the exercise that Elisha took this woman through. It's an exercise of not limiting God. Take a few minutes in prayer.